0: Welcome to 15 to Life, the podcast that talks about life after life in prison. Come with us on a journey and explore stories from within the prison walls to outside the prison walls. All of these podcasts are dedicated to the victims of crime. Hey, what's up everyone and welcome to another episode of 15 to Life, the podcast that talks about life after having a life sentence in prison on your i am your host tito guerrero and today i want to talk about how inmates ex-felons whatever set themselves up for failure by giving the staff that are supposed to help them reintegrate a reason to not care so um you know one of the things that uh staff inside the correctional system uh will tell new guys coming into work in there is you know how do you tell if an inmate is lying and they'll usually say something they go if their lips are moving if they're talking you know and you'll have a lot of inmates that get pissed off about that but the reality is you know uh, I'll be the first to say, you know, after 12 years of incarceration, yeah, you know what? We are always trying to work an angle, always trying to get over. Uh I won't say always, but I mean, it's about serving our best interests, right? Which aren't necessarily either legal, you know, going with the rules or going with the other person or people's interests at heart. So, a lot of times we work ourselves in and out of the situations, and when we complain about them in a broader and more philosophical social level, uh, we got to look back at ourselves. And um, some of my brothers and sisters that have been through the system might not agree with me, but I'm here to tell you um, for the most part, you know, I, I didn't do things wrong while I was incarcerated. I will say, and you'll hear me talk about a lot. I did drink for a long time while I was in there, which of course is against the rules. Um, when tobacco got outlawed, um, I, I was still wheeling and dealing in tobacco and smoking a cigar here and there. Um, and then my high tech stuff, which was cell phones, DVD players, iPods, game boys, and all the other fun stuff that we're not supposed to have that I would get in, um, but I would jokingly tell staff, you know, when when the, the righteous staff, as you might call them, the ones who swear up and down they've never done anything wrong and would question me and they go, well, this is crazy. What do you? How do you get this stuff in visiting and how do you? And I'm like, are you serious? You know, without you, there's no me. Without the correctional officers, without the free staff, like I couldn't have done the majority of the stuff i was doing it's not like we were sneaking it in through the mail or anything else i mean my best uh way of getting anything in that i wasn't supposed to have was the staff um and and i don't care how hard they try to crack down on staff they would do it all the time and i would usually know when there was a quote-unquote blackout where ain't nothing coming in right now because they're searching everyone random and this and the other thing you know, and now they're doing drones to try to drone in stuff. And ironically, when I was getting out, that was my whole thing. I was like, "Man, they got those drone things now. I'll go buy a drone and I'll I'll drop stuff off, and we'll split the money, and that'll pay for the drone." Like I was really gonna do, it, and then I was like, "I'm not trying to get in trouble," so I didn't. But needless to say, it's things like that 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 make it hard for us to uh, get things that we really need. So I'm gonna go to education. Uh, so in California, they changed. The name from CDC California Department of Corrections to CDCR California Department Corrections and Rehabilitation uh, you may say well why'd they change it one it doesn't sound as bad because they throw the rehabilitation on right but um, they didn't change anything inside sure they added some programs but i'll tell you all this i'll tell you they they do not push you to better yourself from day one when you step into prison they ask you who you associate with who you bang with who you do like they want to put you in that like i can't help but think and don't get me wrong i don't have the answers i really don't i would love to try some ideas out but i don't think i have the answers to things but tell me this if you're trying to stop people from being in prison gangs you're trying to stop people from being racist and segregated and everything why would that be the very first thing you do when they show up in that kind of setting is to say hey i'm going to not only acknowledge and validate your separation but i'm going to facilitate it on top of all that so that happens and then we as inmates turn around and live by the rules that are being dictated to us which is really divide and conquer it makes it easier to manage the the crazy people in the loony bin if you make sure they never feel like they're sane, right i know maybe going down a whole another road on this but we tend to allow these things to get bad and then because of the things we try and do with for or against staff it just perpetuates us so for example education. A lot of times um, people will mandatory have to go to school to get their GD because they don't have a GD or a high school diploma. Now, let's be rational here. And there, of course, there's always going to be some hard cases, right? It may require a little bit extra. But you got dudes up in prison that have been in, in freaking school for like 10 years. How do you not have a GD after that long and you're like a 55-year-old guy? Like, come on now. So, one, we screw ourselves up with trying to play games with staff and everything. But then the the staff just go, well, these are dumbasses. They're never going to learn. Let his stupid ass be in school for the rest of his life. And and I think that's freaking crazy. And then someone will try and start a a worthwhile program, you know, doing something good. Uh, I'll give a perfect case in point. I'm at California State Prison Solano up in Vacaville. Uh, I had just started getting family visits because I got off my life sentence and I was to a point where I was the right custody level I could get family visits and um, things things were good for I think it was like a year or two I was getting these family visits and they started a program where they allowed um, some family members to donate um, DVD players and then basically when you would come in to visit uh, mind you, none of this was funded. This was 100% donations from the families of inmates, right? So when you would come in on your family visit, and for those who don't know, a family visit is basically, depending on what level of prison you're at, where I was at, it was a minimum security. So literally the family, whether it's the wife, whether it's the brother sister, mother, father, grandparents, it was immediate family could come up and visit, but they would get locked up. So they would be locked in the prison with you, right not in a cell it was a decent little like two-bedroom apartment but it was like a big cell that was an apartment building right like you have this little tiny area where you could go quote-unquote outside but you're still totally fenced in 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 high security in the prison so I always thought it was really cool that my parents would come and go on family visits with me because it must have sucked for them you know, to be locked up for two days, where me, it was getting away, (laughs) but anyway, so they allowed families to donate these DVD players, and then donate DVDs and movies, so that they would have a library, and you could, you know, do something aside from watch the the few channels that came on the prison network, with the prison movies that were playing that week, right, so it was something really cool, and like, for someone like me, my parents would come up, with like 10 dvds and everything from like a mark anthony concert to you know i'm a star wars fan so they would bring up star wars and then that stuff would stay there and then other families could enjoy it too pretty cool program and mind you you don't get to go on family visit if you get in trouble so you know you have to be uh programming good to get a family visit so this ended up being really cool and and, and it became a thing where it was going on for over a year or so maybe even two years And so people start talking about, well, what else could we do? Like, let's think of the next great thing that we can have someone donate that will benefit, you know, um, that family time. And and I'll tell you guys this, um, and I'm bouncing all over. I apologize. But family visits and visits, and I've talked about this in one of the other podcasts, are so essential to, one, having someone program good and not get in trouble because they don't want to lose their privilege to get these kind of visits, and two, it it solidifies and continues that bond between family, which gives that individual that connection when they get out, so that they don't do bad anymore. So they have that support system when they get out to to be a good, productive member of society. So um, anyone who's turning their head up to inmates getting any kind of you know perk uh think twice about it most of these guys eventually are coming home and there ain't none of this not in my backyard they're gonna come home to your backyard trust me so anyway great program going on we got these dvd players family visiting is great next thing you know and unfortunately it was one of my homies one of the asian homies he had his wife hook up he was a family visiting clerk so he's like the guy who goes in cleans up the rooms make sure everything's there before you get out there with your family he's an inmate right he works for one of the guards so his wife because he got family visits too donates some new dvd players and this guy had her put a bunch of cell phones in one of the dvd players so he could get it out and get it back to the yard got caught you know, and then they they were going to take all the DVD players out. So once again, right, something good happening for the the whole, right? You know, those DVD players benefited every race on the yard. Everyone who got family visits got to enjoy something a little bit more because of this program. And this one guy trying to work that program screwed it up, right? So, so that's what I mean, like... Um, A lot of the talks that I'm going to be having on this podcast can be pros and cons about inmates, and there's going to be a lot of cons, no pun intended, but but this one's always been one that frustrated me, because when I first got to prison as a life-term inmate, so I, you know, we call it all day. You know, you have all day means you got a life sentence, right? So I got all day. And one of the one of the Samoan homies, he's walking me around the yard and he tells me um, I'm asking about different jobs. So he's breaking down the different jobs that are out there and they have um, jobs that fall under the classification of PIA, which is prison industry authority. Those jobs are more like real work. You go in, you basically clock in, clock out, you know, usually get paid a decent amount. You usually go through some kind of security shack. We call it the strip shack because you got to get butt naked when you come down. Go through a metal detector and all that. It's in an area where you can find all the stuff that you wish you could find on the yard. Like (laughs) tools and nails and like shovels and like anything and everything. Welding equipment, the whole nine. Stuff that we obviously could not have in our regular day-to-day lives. So he was giving me this rundown. He's all, dude, this is you want to find a job like in the kitchen so you can steal food you want to find a job doing this like he's bringing on all the jobs where there's the perks either you can get stuff because that's just the way the unwritten law or you can steal all the good stuff right and so i was like well what about the pia jobs i heard those are like real jobs and like you can pay good and get vocational skills and he's like oh hell no and i'm like well Isn't that what we want? Like, we're life-term inmates. Like, when we go to board, board, by the way, is you have to go in front of a board when you get close to your release date or your proposed release date um, to see if you're fit to be released. And now, people are actually getting out. But back when I got locked up, there were people that had been down for 40 years that had been to 20 different board hearings and always got denied ever see Shawshank Redemption, I know, I talk about that a lot too, but the way he got denied in that hearing, and then when he goes in, it's like, man, basically, I don't give a shit, um, I can't change it, you already know who I am, make a decision, then they let him go. It doesn't necessarily work out like that, but they want to see remorse, they want to see, you know, that that you accept responsibility, they want to see that you've changed, which is really a catch-22, because think about it. Someone is trying to read you and read your black and white file that says you've been written up, you haven't been written up, you got certificates, you don't have certificates and tell you how you feel inside and make an assumption on whether you are safe to be put back into society. So it's really, really crazy, right? I do not envy them their job, but at the same time, a lot of those people, and I don't think there's a lot of those board members left anymore, but a lot of those people, I hate to say it, um, they ain't shit, man. I'm going to be very blunt and, and disrespectful. They They all suck because they were in there basically denying everybody. And to say that no one's ever changed in prison, I will call you a liar to your face. I saw it happen all the time. I also saw a lot of people that didn't change. And to this day, I'll be like, you deserve to be in there. You're not ready to come home. And any of y'all with your little cell phones in prison that are listening to this, you know that I'm talking about you. Anyway, keep it moving. Um, so we can mess up things a lot, right? A lot of positive things. Um, and this guy was trying to keep me out of this PIA um industry and where I was at they had PIA metal fab where you learn metal fabrication welding a whole bunch of really cool stuff and where I was at they actually worked on um the the Caltrans like all the people that work on the roadways and cleaning stuff up they would outfit vehicles and fix vehicles it was a lot of really cool stuff but I listened you know, because I'm the new guy and this is someone who's been around. And I was like, yeah, screw that. I'm not doing I'm not going to. He's like, you'll be a slave. They don't pay you hardly anything. And they make tons of money off that PIA crap. You don't want to do that. So I was like, yeah, that's right. Screw that. And I started clerking. So clerking is you're like an admin person. Like you do data entry or you type stuff up, you, you know, file stuff, all that kind of junk. And I was good at it, you know, and I could type and I had good grammar and punctuation. So I actually, uh, went from being a clerk for another inmate of all things to, uh, being the captain's clerk. Um, and, and I did that for actually a few years, which I'll have some, uh, talks about the good and bad things I did in there. But, um, but basically I was told to stay away from this PIA stuff from another inmate who, um you would think has my best interest at heart, right? Not till years later, I'm talking seven, eight years later, um, and I'm getting closer to coming home, like I'm four or five years to the house. uh, I got a bunch of the guys who I've been down with for a long time, they work in PIA uh, Optical, and it's Lens Lab. It's literally a huge optical lab where we would fabricate I mean, from start to finish, glasses, prescription glasses, did most of the medi stuff for the state of California, um, and was actually one of the largest optical labs in the country, ran entirely by inmates, imagine that, so I finally, I was like, you know what, I'm trying to change things up, I'm trying to, I, I stopped doing the making wine and drinking and all this stuff, I was like, I'm going to just go ahead and try it out, it was the best freaking job I had, and I loved that job, but I was in that job until I paroled. Um and it was like a real job. You had to be there on time, you had to do your work, you had metrics and KPI, you know, you key performance indicators. You you were given, you know, they they weren't big deals but you got little like performance reviews they would let you know how you're doing and where you need to improve they offer training you know what i mean like i got certified as an optician i got certified as a contact lens examiner i also got certified as a customer service specialist all this stuff in prison working this bullshit pia job right and yeah i made my little at the end i was making what 55 cents an hour which is really good in prison so i was a happy camper and um it really worked out but once again inmates we we end up hurting ourselves more than we help like that guy should have told me this is my personal opinion but why don't you go ask some people and form your own opinion and maybe i would have been had my head screwed on right even earlier and maybe i would have had my doctorate degree by now because i would have been getting degrees while i was inside instead of waiting till the end so we're constantly like beating ourselves up but i want to get back to how inmates also hurt um, getting bigger and better things. So a lot of times, someone from the outside, and it's usually faith-based, usually some kind of church, right, will will come in and and they want to do stuff, whether it's a program, whether it's a class, and, and it'll be an inmate trying to subvert the whole thing or try to play off that person to make them believe that this inmate really is wanting to do this, but they're really just trying to get an angle to get their cousin in and then their cousin's gonna bring them some dope or something. That kind of stuff doesn't happen as much as I'm really making it seem, but it only takes one time to screw up the next ten things that might happen right so i've I always got annoyed because i I was like I'm the guy working angles too, but I'm working on angles of stuff that ain't gonna change, so the stuff I worked angles on was. The, the COs, the correctional officers, they ain't going to take the COs out. So if I can work two COs and they're bringing me something, I'm going to work them. Don't get two more. And yes, uh, in retrospect, I kind of look at it like, you know, I was putting their livelihood at risk. But you know what? They knew what the hell they were getting into. I don't feel... It takes two to tango. And I'll tell you this. When I got my first batch of contraband in... It was 100% someone else working their source. I just got introduced to it as kind of the middleman. But when I got caught with my cell phone, when I got out of Aztec, when I got out of the hole and and everyone knew that I didn't tell on anybody, I had everyone coming to me asking what I needed and how much could they make for bringing me something. So that was a system that they kind of killed themselves on. And even if they had transferred me to another prison, my file would have came with me and people would have read my file and they would have known I was a stand-up solid guy that i take my own beef and I don't tell on anyone. And I, I would have had phones anywhere I went. I guarantee you that. But anyway, back to this. So we as inmates hurt ourselves for some of the, the good things that could help us, right? But at the end of the day, um, I, I have to admit, the, the statement I said that they tell people new coming in, you know, how do you know when the inmate's lying, his lips are moving or he's talking. I, I have to say, I would agree more often than not with that statement. And not so much that an inmate lies all the time. But you always have to be mindful of what they're saying, why they're saying it, when they're saying it, who they're saying it to, and why they're even talking in the first place. So... I say that to say this, Um, I'll never forget um, working in non-profit, uh, especially working in non-profit where we hire ex-offenders and people that have been homeless and addicts and everything else. I'll never forget having to explain this thing, and I'm going to tell this story and wrap this up, but I have one of our senior vice presidents say, you know, I just don't understand why someone who needs a job so desperately gets a job with us and then is going to risk getting fired behind stealing some hand soap like why would they go to the trouble of finding an empty water bottle and filling it with hand soap getting caught and potentially losing their job like who would do that and i started laughing and so they're like well what's so funny and i go well you know what you don't realize is they were trained to do that. But you have no idea because you don't come from that background. You have never been in that situation. So you have no idea the mentality and the years potential potentially of training that has gone into this individual. So they asked me to explain. I said, well, put it to you simply. If someone is in and out of county jail or in and out of prison or was in one or the other for a long period of time, they probably worked as a porter or a trustee, a janitor basically and did not get paid but one of the perks was you always had access to cleaning supplies that was a benefit a perk whatever you want to call it to the job and part of what you would do is find containers and stuff and you take that back to your cell so that you don't have to use your personal stuff it it, it's a way of making money by saving money right and Myself included, someone who just got finished doing 12 years and always looking for what is what I can take that will add value to what I'm doing when I leave. And I was like, and there it is. You got this individual, they get put in this situation, they walk into a closet, there's 10 freaking gallons of pink soap. Hey, I'm going to take a bottle worth because now I don't have to buy soap for my halfway house, my rundown apartment, whatever they may be in. And then they were like, wow, I would have never known that. And I said, you should try to ask. Because you're right. We as just generalized people in society don't know anything about each other. Unless we've either, either known someone like that individual. We've been around those people for a while. Or we just ask. Or maybe we saw something on TV and we think we know, Right. But you don't always know everything. So needless to say, inmates can screw themselves over by some of the stupid things they try to do. But correctional officers and prison staff in general, whatever title, rank, or whatever they hold, also get paid to not think that way, yet they can't stop, which I don't blame them for. But they're supposed to be there, especially in California, to also rehabilitate. And um, a buddy of mine who did 40 plus years, he made an argument and said, how can you rehabilitate someone who was never habilitated in the first place, who never had a good home to grow up in, who never had everything he needed to be a regular person, who never had a supportive family or friendship network? Who never had medical or dental. Who never had the basic things that the majority of people in society have. How can you ever put something together within the prison system to rehabilitate that individual? Who has no idea what that means. And I'm going to leave you all on that note. This is Tito with some random prison talk for the day. It just was on my mind so I put it on tape. Anyway, y'all have a blessed day, week, weekend.